We are starting a new mini-series during this Advent season leading up to Christmas called Missing Christmas. And I want to start by taking you back to 1989. I was an undergraduate student in Edinburgh, Scotland, and that's the year that Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady herself, introduced the community charge into Scotland. Uh, The community charge was essentially a poll tax. And a poll tax, the way it works is, if you have a head, you pay a tax. So here's my problem. I had a head, I was living in Scotland, but I had no money, and so I couldn't pay the tax. So Margaret Thatcher and I went toe to toe. She threatened to throw me into jail. I said, you can take my life, but you can't take what I don't have. Eventually, Margaret Thatcher decided to introduce the poll tax into England and Wales. And there were riots in the streets. She repealed the tax. I didn't have to pay, and I didn't go to jail. Why do I start with that story? Well, because that's where Luke starts in this gospel in Luke chapter 2. He starts with the setting of a Roman poll tax that's being forced on the non-citizens in the Roman Empire. And that's the backdrop that Luke chooses when he wants to talk about the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, just as the poll tax was not popular in Britain, it really wasn't popular in the Roman world because the Romans introduced it to non-citizens and the provinces. So citizens were exempt, non-citizens had to pay. And this caused riots in the streets. It actually caused a lot of bloodshed too. And that's the backdrop to the birth of Jesus as we find in Luke chapter two. What's the message there? What's the intent of Luke choosing this gloomy background for the birth of Jesus? Well, I think partly it's this. As the kingdoms of this world scheme and plot and grasp at power and interfere with the lives of their people, God is still at work. God is at work planting the seed of redemption, which will eventually overthrow the whole broken regime. That's the message of Jesus being born in tax season. Which brings us to the innkeeper. That's what I want to talk about this morning. In fact, I had a great sermon in mind. As I was imagining this series, I thought all about the innkeeper. I wanted to focus on how he was so preoccupied with all the stuff that he had to do that he missed his opportunity to welcome the Messiah. There's only one problem. As I read the story, I realized there is no innkeeper. Have you ever realized that as you read Luke chapter 2? I think we're told the story so often and it's imagined and reimagined again and again. I remember some of the plays even in elementary school that our kids participated in. One year, my daughter was the innkeeper and she even had a speaking role. But when we turn to the story, we discover there's no innkeeper and there was probably no inn. He's simply a kind of figment of our reimagining the story into our own context. Here's what happened, actually, according to the text and the best of our knowledge of the customs at the time. Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem. They had to go to Bethlehem to register for this poll tax. And when they went to Bethlehem, most likely they looked up one of Joseph's relatives. That's why he was there in the town, because 
He had a family connection to that place. But when they got to one of Joseph's relatives, they realized that their guest room was already occupied. And I'm so thankful for the NIV and the translation of this word. Instead of translating it in, they translated it as guest room because that's much more accurate. This word only occurs another two times in the New Testament. Both those other times we translated guest room. When the New Testament writers want to talk about an inn, like when the Good Samaritan takes the person to the inn, it's a whole different word. So we're not talking about a motel here. We're not talking about an inn. We're talking about a guest room that is occupied. Well, in fact, the whole tiny, tiny town of Bethlehem was fully occupied and there were no motels or inns available. So they stayed in the part of the house that was designated for the animals. Most houses in that time had three kind of sections to them. They had a section where they could keep the animals at night and keep them safe and keep them locked up. They had another section that was raised that the family would live in, and that was the main family space. And then they had a guest room, a room that could be available for guests or could even be rented out, much like Jesus did with his disciples when he rented the upper room for the Passover meal. That room apparently was booked. So Joseph and Mary, who was pregnant, not necessarily nine months, but she was pregnant, they made a bit of a home in the animal place. And it was there when the time came after some time in Bethlehem that she gave birth to Jesus. So here's the thing. Even though I don't have the innkeeper as my prop, my conclusion is still the same. The whole town, and in fact, the whole world was so preoccupied with the regular concerns of everyday life that almost no one noticed that the Savior of the world had just been born. They all missed Christmas. I get it, the obscurity of the birth of Jesus was intentional. Now, a number of months ago, I was down in Fish Creek Park and I noticed a deer in the grass, in the tall grass, not moving very much at all. And I wondered at first if it was injured, but then I realized it had just given birth recently to a fawn and it had its baby in the tall grass, hiding it, keeping it obscure. Why? To keep it safe and away from predators. And there's a certain vulnerability to the birth of the Messiah when the King of Kings is born as a baby. And there's certain protection that needs to be taken in order for the time to come when Jesus would give his own life and it would not be taken from him. And so the obscurity of Bethlehem and the obscurity of that animal pen in the house was needed and was necessary for that protection. But I'm always surprised and amazed that even with all the prophecies, even with all of the teachers of the law watching and waiting for the promised Messiah, still very few of them noticed 
or at least acknowledged that the birth of Jesus was the fulfillment of those prophecies. They missed Christmas. What happened? Well, I think life happened. I think just the daily distraction of taking care of basic needs, of supporting the family, of paying taxes, just overwhelms us at times, and we forget to watch for the signs of the coming of Jesus. We do it right now. Uh, this Advent season is not meant to just look back at the birth of Jesus, but meant to focus us on the anticipation of the coming again of Jesus. But we get so caught up in the daily distractions of life, how many of us are actually watching and waiting for the coming of Jesus again? Our lives can be so noisy, can't they? They can be so full of distraction that we miss the gift of God even when it's right under our noses. Rick Warren said this, Often it can seem like we are busily chugging through life, weighed down by an unending list of to-dos and an ever-growing list of not-yet-dones. The mental and emotional capacity required to successfully complete or even attempt the goals that we have set can leave us feeling like we're living out the latest zombie movie as one of the title characters. Zoned out, hungry, tripping over our feet, falling apart, and overflowing with the wrong emotions. It actually reminds me of a verse in Luke chapter 8, in the story of the seed in the soil. It says this, The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear the word of God. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, by riches, by pleasures, and they do not mature. The cares of this world choke out the seed of the word of God. So I think we find in that passage, there's at least three things, at least three distractions that can cause us to miss the gift of Christmas. Number one, worry. The worries of this life. Worries are like weeds, aren't they? When we're too busy with the problems and the pressures of daily living, it makes us hard to be attentive to the gift of God that he wants to give us. Secondly, riches. Just being busy, trying to pay the bills, trying to get out of debt, trying to make more money, so busy making a living that we don't make a life, that we don't take time to see the gift and pay attention to the gift that God wants to give us. Or pleasure. There's nothing wrong with pleasure, uh, but we need to be careful that we don't become so busy pursuing fun that we miss what God has in store for us. So all these distractions, just the everyday stuff of life, sometimes causes us to miss what God is saying to us, what God is wanting us to pay attention to. So I have a question for you. What is distracting you today from paying full attention to God's gift of Jesus during this Christmas time? Now, in fact, some people did pay attention, not just Mary and Joseph and the random animals in the stall, 
but they were shepherds out on their fields, watching over their flock by night. And God sent some angels to get their attention, to cause them to pay attention to the birth of Jesus. Now, these weren't just random shepherds. In fact, I think they were shepherds that were taking care of a special flock, the flock that was used for the temple sacrifices. There's one regulation in the Mishnah. This is a collection of not only sayings, but some regular laws that governed the life of the Jewish people at the time. And this one regulation says this, it expressly forbids the keeping of flocks throughout the land of Israel, except in the wilderness. And the only flocks otherwise kept would be those for the temple services. These shepherds were watching over special flocks by night. They're watching over the flocks that would be used in the sacrifices. And they were specially trained to identify and authenticate the perfect lambs, the lambs without blemish, the lambs without spot, the lambs that could be suitably used for the sacrifice. They're the shepherds that get the nod from God when God sends his angels and says, pay attention and go see this lamb, the lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. How does God get our attention? I hope that God doesn't send an angel to get my attention because I just think it would be absolutely terrifying and I'm not sure I'd believe it. Maybe he has sent an angel. Maybe it's just a, a toned down angel, not the ones with the trumpets and, and all the loud noise. But I think God has used other things to get my attention. Sometimes sickness or loss. Sometimes unexpected blessings that have come my way. Sometimes a rebuke or a warning from someone I trust. Sometimes a pandemic. What if God wants to use this season of COVID-19 in order to get our attention. What if he wants us to pay attention to the things that matter really the most? What if he wants to cause us to turn to him in repentance and prayer during this season? What if God wants to use this particular opportunity to remind the church that our mission exists actually beyond the walls that we set up for our own use. What if God wants to use this season to get your attention? How does he do that? How does God get your attention to pay attention to the gift of his son, Jesus, especially during this Christmas time? Well, it turns out there was no innkeeper, but the whole town was consumed with the mundane, everyday chores that they had to pay attention to. And somehow they missed out on the monumental birth of Jesus in that little town of Bethlehem. So my prayer is this, that we will be attentive to God's gifts this season, that we will cut through the noise and the distraction and the paying of taxes so that we can truly focus on Jesus and so that we don't miss Christmas. God bless.